Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Daniel Foch, and I am joined here every Tuesday and Friday in your eardrums by none other than my buddy Nick on Instagram. And just just Nick in real life. You can call me my buddy Nick You're if still it makes a buddy. you feel better. Yeah, still I, mean, a buddy. I guess we're buddies after all these episodes. Eh? It'd be kind of weird if we weren't. Yeah. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We have got a great episode for you today. We're going to start things off by looking at a investment property for under three hundred thousand dollars in Winnipeg. Then we're going to discuss some of the age demographics in all of the major markets, where the young people are going, and why it matters for you to know this stuff as an investor. But before we get into all of that, let's start with some warm and fuzzy stuff. Dan, take us away. Sure. I also can't wait for a bunch of people to rip on us and be like, oh, this Winnipeg investment's in like the worst neighborhood in the I world or whatever. Like, I just feel like, <laughs> I just feel like every time I try and put a property up and I'm like, guys, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to share some, some returns with you. And the TikTok crowd's just like, oh yeah, you successfully found the armpit of X city. I'm like, oh, great. So hopefully this one's not in a bad neighborhood, but um, I'm going to read the return here. It says five stars. Congratulations. You found it by Jer FK. Not to be confused with JFK on February 17th, 2023. This podcast delivers a continuous wealth of information in regards to investing in real estate. You will enjoy the host's no holds barred extreme X Games approach. No, just kidding. That was the <laughs> X Games part wasn't in there. Approach, no holds barred approach to giving you the information that you need to have or the information that you need to have before making a move in the real estate space. Their honesty is refreshing and the delivery is on point. You could be renting, buying, or selling. You could own multiple properties or simply thinking about your first. Either way, this podcast is a must-listen and something that you should share with your friends. We didn't even have to say it ourselves. Please share it. With, tell all your friends. That That's a really good review. I, I love that. that really Very sweet. Hits the nail on the head. I couldn't describe our own podcast better than Jer FK did. Much unlike the next review from yes, the mystery this, person who we actually know based on this. This one's review. good. <laughs> Five stars. Propcast of the year. So we're like this a prop tech company now? Well, we're getting there. And this is by Precon Dawn. I wonder who that could be. Jordan Scrinko. Um, written on February 3rd of 2023. It reads, is this a podcast or is it a cult? If it's a cult, count me in. I made a harrowing mistake of listening to the episode of this podcast at 11.49 p.m. EST, naively assuming the soothing sounds of Dan, dot, dot, dot. And it gets cut off there, and I am dying to know the rest. The good thing is we know the guy that wrote this, and he will eventually be on the prop cast we're gonna make of him, the year. We're going to make him finish his yeah. his review <laughs> in spoken word. Also, I have to say that like one of my favorite things to follow on uh, social media right now is Tom Story and Jordan Scrinko racing to get ten thousand followers on YouTube right now. I don't. I, they, they somebody might have won already by now, but uh, but it's pretty funny. Pretty funny. Anyway, Love let's it. jump over to the deal of the day here. Today we're in Winnipeg, Manitoba for the deal of the day, which is a side-by-side -side triplex. Side-by-side-by-side, -by -side -by -side, I guess, mm -hmm. triplex. A 
unique property. You see side-by-side duplexes and they're preferable to the up-downs for sure, like party wall, but uh, no stomping of feet. Um, mm-hmm. But I've not ever seen a triplex like this one, honestly. And this is the crazy part. Listed at 269 800 It's less than 100 k a door. Let's go over the listing details here. Yeah, so I'm going to read the description here quickly. Offers as received side-by-side triplex with three bedrooms, each with separate utilities, entrances, and fenced yards. Man, that sounds pretty damn good. Priced under the city assessment of 276000 and a great development potential with M1 zoning. Close to the waterfront that has boomed over the last 10 years, this property is located at the edge of a current development, so the potential for anyone with a vision is there. In the meantime, keep the property that is already tenanted and brings in an 8% cap rate that pays for itself. Tenants pay $750, $1,000, and $1,000 plus utilities. Request your performa and book a showing today. It's been on Realtor.ca for eight days. I like it, but... Let's let's get into the nitty gritty here a little bit. Now, I looked up M1 zoning in Winnipeg and it means light industrial. So that includes repair shops, lumber yards, storage facilities and more. Now, if you've ever looked up zoning, you have probably run into the same problems I did where it is usually outdated, archaic, hard to find this kind of stuff in in a lot of uh in a lot of government agencies and municipalities, but I did see something that said a lot of the M1 zoning in certain areas of Winnipeg had been converted to commercial zoning. Now, if that's the case for this, it really opens up this site. And if that's not the case, you can likely get a variance or an amendment for a rezoning on a site like this, especially if it's adjacent to other new developments. Now, Let's plug this into our handy landlord tool, which makes just about everybody look like a real estate investing genius. What we're going to do is I'm going to go through the details of the deal. And then Dan is going to go through the first year metrics and the 10 year metrics. We're going to have a little chat about whether we think it's a good deal or not. Dan, anything to add before I start? Yeah, yeah, there is. So I... When I saw the M1 zoning, I was like, I have to Google this thing. I got to see, like, I have to look at the aerial on, because I, we I was joking before about, like, people on TikTok being like, oh, like, this place is in the horrible area. And, like, I mean, the reality is, like, if you look at this property, it's like, it's a residential holdout in basically an industrial. Not an, and the word industrial kind of sounds like, you know, like there's people, like, smelting aluminum around the building <laughs> and stuff. But, like, next door is, like, a heating and cooling business. There's a church nearby. There's an auto body shop. There's, a, you know, um, painters and allied trades union building uh you know there's a child care center it's not a stable residential area right like this would be probably so interesting discussion you know the last one of the last episodes we were talking about how low residential vacancy is in different cities across the country but we've also talked several episodes ago when we were reviewing um reports from cbra and colliers about how low industrial vacancy is across the country and this is kind of one of those like you don't really see opportunities like this that often where you have um you get multifamily stability today and you get the upside of maybe potentially developing this into a small uh, industrial facility in the fullness of time because it has that M1 zoning. Um, and that's really, you know, as we start talking about onshoring, um, you know, deglobalization, trends of, you know, Canadian industrial demand accelerating as we see business growth, plus, you know, that being a second order effect of population growth, um, but also s- demand for small industrial concepts when you're getting more and more last mile uh, 
builder or sorry, last mile uh, delivery companies, more and more artisanal, um, you know, distributors selling on Etsy as an example, or small e-com concepts that are all consuming small commercial or industrial space. And so I actually think this is a really cool deal. Like based on what you're paying for it, you're probably paying basically just above land cost for what you would pay for vacant land for an industrial development anyway. It is a, it appears to be a relatively small site. So like that might be the big constriction that you're going to have in pushing this through as a more meaningful industrial concept. But generally, you know, before we look at the metrics, cool deal from a vision perspective as well. Well, I'm glad you think so, amigo. Let's look at the purchase details. So I left the price at 269,800, uh, figured it's below assessment value. So let's just leave it as is. Monthly expected rent, pretty easy, 2750. I threw in $10,000 for improvement costs, just thinking there might be some small capex, maybe some appliances that need to be switched out. Uh, and then $10,000 for closing costs. Uh, which means the cash invested would be about 73,000. You've got an 80, 20 loan to value here and a 6% mortgage rate. Um, property tax is coming at just over 3,500. And I did manipulate the occupancy rate a little bit. You know, I know it's tenanted right now, but I just wanted to play with this a little bit. So I dropped it from 95 down to 85% occupancy, thinking you might have a month and a half or so trying to fill one of those units if anyone were to leave. So pretty simple deal. Now, Dan, walk us through the first year metrics and then let's get to the the 10 year long term play. Totally. Yeah. So you're cash positive in year one with a net annual cash flow of. $5,533 and ca- that gives you cash on cash return of 7.48% at the loan to value that you mentioned, which I think was 80%, which I think is potentially achievable. Um, that loan to value point, maybe with a local credit union or something. Um, first year ROI, I'm going to be negative again because you're putting out all that cash to purchase the property. Um, gross yield on year one, 11.39%. And cap rate is pretty close to what the realtor states in the listing, which is 8%. Uh, you know, this, we obviously don't have a full expense statement from these owners. So, um, you know, based on, on our assumptions, we have a 7.86% cap rate. Um, I, I think, you know, and then when you, when you hold that out over a, um, over a 10 year period, it's a 12.9% IRR. Um, I, 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 I like the deal. Like it, it, seems fair to me. I actually think probably the occupancy rate that you put in might be actually a little bit low just because one of those units is 750 bucks. Like you actually probably have rental upside. Like you see, okay, let's assume all three units are identical. They're all three bedroom townhouses basically, unless it's the middle one because it's missing exterior windows on the outside. You, you know, it has two party walls. Um, it, there's probably upside to that rent. So I actually think you, if anything, you're probably going to see income increase here and probably no issues with lease up. Let's dive into the show. Start us off here, Dan. Yeah. So a recent headline that I came across and a topic that seemed, it kind of seemed to fizzle out a little bit, but it was a big topic for a little bit there, which was that China's population is now declining. Last week, officials announced that 2022 marked the first drop in the total population in six decades since uh, the famine of the Great Leap Forward. This long expected event is the result of decades long decline in Chinese fertility rates. So again, we talk about cycles, countries having cycles, um, and you kind of go through the cycles of like, oh, eventually, you know, you reach a place where, you know, very, you know, middle class or whatever, certain people just just want to have smaller families or whatever it is. And China really was, you know, making a huge effort to 
change their the role their currency played in the world, change the way that they play a uh, role in the world, and then also bring a lot of people into the middle class. You're seeing the same thing happening into India right now. It's saying China may China may be one step closer to losing its place as the world's most populous country to India after its population shrank for the first time since the 1960s. It fell to one. 0.41 billion, down some 850,000 people from the previous year. And the last time it decreased was in 1961 during a famine. At this time, a combination of factors are behind the drop. The far-reaching consequences of the one-child policy China introduced in the 1980s, but has since been abandoned, changing attitudes towards marriage and family among Chinese youth, entrenched gender inequality, and the challenges of raising children in the expensive cities. Uh, experts warn that it if sustained, the trend could also pr- pose a problem for the rest of the world with them playing a key role in driving global growth as the second largest economy. So a, fall, a falling population is likely to exacerbate their problems with an aging work fa- uh, workforce and drag on growth, adding to its woes as it struggles to recover from the pandemic. Yeah. Now let's contrast that with Africa. According to the forecast, Africa's total population would reach nearly 2.5 billion by 2050. In 2020, the continent had about 1.34 billion inhabitants with Nigeria, Ethiopia, and Egypt as the most populous countries. In the coming years, Africa would experience significant population growth and nearly reach the Asian population by 2100. Now, some say that Africa has great potential and could be the next economic frontier. It is home to some of the world's fastest growing economies and that term emerging markets, which we hear a lot. Its population is expected to grow by 184 percent by 2050. Yeah. So this is interesting from my perspective because, you know, we hear a lot of conversation about population growth. And in Canada, I mean, it's one of the big driving factors of our economy. In the U.S., same thing. This is where we see the oversubscription of people to housing and what eventually drives up that scarcity and supply and demand factors. Um, And, you know, comparing and contrasting these two different, very different countries in very different positions, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, like Africa being an example, that maybe buying land there would be like akin to buying... Uh, land in you know in a certain area that was at the beginning of that that growth trajectory um, and you're talking about you're seeing a lot of urbanization happening in a lot of these areas we saw the same thing happen we're seeing it happening in North America as well people moving from um, rural areas into into urban areas and so I like to talk about because these are kind of the two extremes you have one that's showing tremendous growth potential in population just population growth you can make assum- your own assumptions about what that means from an investment. And then you're seeing another area that's for the first time declining in population, which we've heard a lot of people talking about how that could be a big threat to kind of global stability is the decline of populations. And so um, I want to use these to kind of segue into macro and micro decision making in real estate. So can you you kind of like break this down for me, Nick, this this thought that I have? For sure. Now we you hear us talk about micro and macro quite a bit on this podcast and, you know, they're very important. We can consider the micro factors to answer simple questions like, does the deal make sense? For instance, is it cash flow positive? Let's stress test it. Would it be cash flow positive if the vacancy went up? Would it be cash flow positive if interest rates went up? All of this can be modeled out in landlord.io, by the way, in what if scenarios. We also look at what is the cap rate? Was the cash on cash return? Can I add value to the property? Then you kind of get the blue sky value with uh, will this asset appreciate in value? And to think about it, you should be thinking, 
will this overall market grow? So let's go to what are the fastest growing areas in Canada? So the fastest growing municipalities are close to urban areas per Statistics Canada. So topping, and this is interesting because we're going to, it feels like we're going to do the same thing twice, but it's because StatCan measures CMAs, which we'll just to define. Um, but so topping the list of fastest growing municipalities, keyword municipalities, these are towns, not CMAs. CMA, this sounds like something, a job for the Nictionary. Might be. We still got to get you some theme music, by the way. <laughs> I know. I just need a button I can push every time we do it. So, well, what's the difference, you may ask, between a CMA, a municipality, a CA, a town? So, a census metropolitan area, a CMA, or a census agglomeration, a CA, is formed by one or more adjacent municipalities centered on a population center known as the core. A CMA must have a total population of at least 100,000, of which 50,000 or more must live in that core based on the adjusted data from the previous census of population program. A CA must have a core population of at least 10,000. Remember, CA is census agglomeration. Uh, must have a population of at least 10,000, also based on data from the previous census. To be included in a CMA or CA, other adjacent municipalities must have a high degree of integration with that core, as measured by commuting flows derived from data of place of work, again, from the previous census data. If this population of the core of a CA falls below that 10,000 like threshold. Uh, I'm sufficiently confused now. So is it basically just towns versus cities? I was, no, no, it's much more complicated, much more complicated than that. No, that's exactly what it is. And they're basically just broken up by population. So 100,000 versus 50,000 have to be in that. And then 50,000 versus 10,000 for CMAs versus CAs. So, okay, perfect. So- and then I guess a lot of these, like you get the GTAs or the GVAs or whatever. I guess I'm not allowed to say GVA. I think we're still banned on that one, right? But they get kind of grouped into these CMAs, right? So um, if they're sufficiently far away from one another, you might hear like Toronto and Hamilton as an example, but you won't hear Vaughn because Vaughn's kind of included in the Toronto CMA as an example. So, okay, got it. So in Canada from 2016 to 2021, East Gwillimbury was the, that's on the outskirts of the GTA. So, and it grew 44%. Evidence of the ongoing uh, urban spread in the Toronto area. So East Golden Bay, I actually just bought a house there. Um, and uh, it's basically a very s small rural municipality, but th that means that there's a lot of leftover agricultural land that's being developed very quickly. Three other suburban rural municipalities surrounding Toronto also had among the 25 highest growth, rate, growth rates in the country. New Tecumseh, 28.3%. Bradford West Gwillimbury, similar to East Gwillimbury, just West. And actually their mascot is a carrot. His name's Gwillie, by the way. Um, 20, yeah, super cool guy. 21.4%. <laughs> and Milton, 20.7%. Milton actually has seen a ton of growth in the past. They were one of the fastest growing municipalities, I think, in the last census as well. Matt and me actually like piloted, I think, their, their, where they were slapping up those houses, like doing some construction innovation up there or out there. Um, so these growth rates were over four times that of the Toronto CMA as a whole. But the, remember now, the Toronto CMA is this agglomeration and all of these kind of would be part of that. So the municipalities you can see growing quickly, but Toronto being bigger, there's a base number effect, not going to see as much growth on the number. Still 4.6% is crazy. Um, so in addition to East Gwillimbury and New Tecumseh, the population of five other suburban municipalities on the outskirts of large urban centers were also among the 10 fastest growing. So Langford, 31.8% in the Victoria CMA, St. Apollinaire, 
30.4% in the Quebec CMA, Niverville, 29%, and West St. Paul, 24.5% in the Winnipeg CMA, as well as Thorold, 26.7% in the St. Catharines Niagara CMA. So you can look at annual data to spot new trends. For example, moving just into last year rather than looking at the censuses from 2016 to 2021 because that's not going to give you a one-year cross-section. So if you look at 2022, Moncton led the charge, which is interesting because you know it explained that huge gro- ho- uh, house price growth that we saw in the area and how well that's been sustained while everything else has seen prices come down. Halifax is the second fastest growing urban region in the country in 2022 after Moncton, according to that StatCan data. And that municipality grew by 4.4% between July 1st, 2021 and July 1st, 2022. So that's the same, almost the same growth rate that Toronto saw between 2016 and 2021 censuses. Um, you know, economic development there made a, made a couple of interesting comments. It's a really great thing to see that we're growing so strongly and you have a lot of baby boomers that are retiring. So in existence, in, in addition to our, our future labor force, this is like, it's important to see in addition to the future labor force. So a lot of young people moving to Halifax as an example. So you can also look at CMAs or census metropolitan areas rather than municipalities, let's call them. So Canada grew for five, 5.2% for context. I'm just going to read a couple of stats here because I don't want to, you know, um, but Kelowna grew 14%, Chilliwack 12%, Kamloops 10%, London, Ontario 10%, Nanaimo, BC 10%, Kitchener-Waterloo, Cambridge 10%, Oshawa 9.3%, Halifax 9.1% in that time, Guelph 9%, and then Moncton again 8.9% in that 2016 to 2021 time frame. And below that in order, and I won't even read the growth rates, but you can kind of just get an idea for everybody who's kind of below that 9% range. Ottawa, Abbotsford Mission, Barrie, Victoria, BC, Saskatoon, Belleville, Brantford, Edmonton, Alberta grew at 7.3%, which actually surprised me. It outgrew Calgary at 6.4%. Winnipeg grew 6.6% for context. I'm going to read a couple of the ones just to give every province a shout out here. Fredericton, 5.8%. Regina, 5.3%. I know I said I wouldn't read all of the growth percentages, <laughs> but I'm actually finding this like super fascinating. Uh, Montreal and Toronto were tied at 4.6%. So to create some context there, two larger cities. Uh, Trois-Rivières at th- uh, 3.5%, tied with St. John, New Brunswick at uh, 3.5%. Sudbury, again, we're hearing a lot about growth in Sudbury, but 2.8%. And then St. John's, 2%, Thunder Bay, 1.3%. I am done my exhaustive data monologue there, Nick. So now let's give a shout out to some of our friends here at Zolo by reading a little bit of what they mentioned. And, uh, and then I think we'll get to age as well. Yeah. I mean, look, before we move on, just, just fascinating to see all the different growth rates across the country and, and, you know, kind of makes me feel pretty bullish overall that, that we're seeing this growth um, in in all these in all these different places, but let's get to the Zolo article here. The fastest growing cities in Canada are all small cities. That's from Jordana Kay and our friends at Zolo. So thanks for putting out all the great content over there. Rural growth has outpaced urban growth for the first time since 1966. Now, can we see a return to normal as we start to return to the office? Question mark. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a good question, right? Like, are we going to see a reurbanization of demand or is that suburbanization here to stick? Like, I I, th- I remember I had um, listened to 
uh, I can't remember her name, but the economist or one of the principals at, at FirstNet, and they were saying they're not modeling the expectation that they think that everybody who suburbanizes is going to move back. But right now, I mean, the city seems hot. Like all of the cities seem hot on the on the demand side. So it is interesting. It does, and, and you know, I can comfortably say this. And Dan, we've talked to a lot of people in the in the commercial office space, and and even some of the larger landlords, and. There seems to be this general consensus that people are going to return to the office. It might not look the way it did before. You're not expected to be there nine to four or sorry, nine to five or eight to four. Um, but you might ex- be expected to be there three days a week. I mean, we don't have these major office towers in central biz- business districts for nothing. And, you know, the, okay, well, let's turn them into, um, condos or apartments, uh, and, and use them to fight the, housing uh, crisis that we're in, well, that's not really a sustainable idea. Um, so I do think there is going to be a major return to office over the next few years. And I do think that's going to definitely change the uh, the patterns and, and migrations that we've seen. Anyways, let's get back to the article. Yeah, bef- before we do, what, what are we at on, um, on, I think we're at 42% for Toronto office occupancy, which is trailing the US, I believe, right? So I think US mm-hmm. offices are at 50% occupancy now. Um, Toronto is the only market tracked in, in Canada, by the way, but, um, I think we're at 42% return. So 42% of pre COVID occupancy levels. So it'd be interesting to see how it shakes out. I agree. And we could debate this one, you and I, I think. As Canada's population grows, so does the number of people living in rural areas. For that reason, according to the new report from Stats Canada, the proportion of Canadians living in rural areas has grown for the first time in over 50 years. While this growth is happening all across the country, some provinces and cities are seeing more significant changes than others. Ontario, for example, is home to several of the fastest growing cities in Canada. Now, overall, the number of Canadians living in rural areas grew by 0.9% between July 2020 and July 2021, while those living in urban areas decreased in many cases up to minus 1.1%. Moreover, rural growth has outpaced urban growth for the first time since 1966, and that might be a trend that is here to stay. Four of Canada's top fastest growing regions are in Ontario's cottage country, which is kind of crazy. Therefore, the migration of people toward towns and cities in Ontario's cottage country is one of the most exciting pieces of information seen in that 2021 census data. As a result, these popular tourist towns are now transforming from holiday homes to year-round homes for many of the people that decided to make that move. Yeah, so I guess one of my questions here is this could be kind of like a base effect happening. So like a smaller city, uh, you know, smaller cities are seeing higher magnitude based on percentage. So their growth, because their original population is so much smaller. So like as an example, if you add a thousand people to Toronto, it's up you know, less than 1%, there's a fraction of a percent growth. But if you add a thousand people to like cottage country, like Dwight or like, you know, some like a, or even like a Huntsville where it's like 28,000 or like a small, one of these small villages where it's, you know, East Willenberry, like they added, they like went up 50%, but they really only added 10,000 people. That would be a rounding error in Toronto, right? So it could be a base effect here, right? Yeah, exactly. Good point, Dan. And that base effect occurs whenever two data points are compared as a ratio where the current data point or point of interest is divided or expressed as a percentage of another data point, the base point of comparison. Because the base number makes up the denominator and the comparison. Comparisons using different base value can yield widely varying results. 
If the base has abnormally high or low value, it can greatly distort the ratio, resulting in potentially deceptive comparison. And that's exactly what you were talking about, Dan. I just said it in a much more complicated fashion. That's what you do, man. You complicate things. Like uh, <laughs> your, fa- your Facebook relationship status is uh, it's complicated or I'm complicated. Uh, <laughs> you know, and if you actually want to re- like a kind of an interesting further reading on this is a cool book called How to Lie with Statistics. Really, really quick read. It's like a tiny little book. Cool one to just have laying around for like a toilet read as well for your guests. But um, it, it just shows like how data can easily be skewed and, and how biases are often used by reporting agencies or, you know, now in the world of clickbait headlines, very much a thing. Um, should we jump over to age? Because I think this is an interesting discussion. So I'm just going to read this list here. Uh, median age of the resident population of Canada by province. So we're going to start with provinces. So Newfoundland and Labrador, 47.8 years old. Now, remember, um, Newfoundland and Labrador is the only province expected to contract in population by 2050. We covered that on a, on a point quite a bit. I think it's uh, housing for 500,000 immigrants episode, um, but still not seeing population growth. So they're barely barely contracting, but they're not seeing growth. Everywhere else that on this list is growing. And so think about that when we're reading this because everywhere else is younger. New Brunswick, 457 in Nova Scotia, 44.2 years of age on average, or sorry, median. Uh, Quebec, 43.1. British Columbia, 42. PEI, 41.7. Ontario, 40.4. Yukon, 39.5 uh, median age. Saskatchewan, 38.2. Alberta, 38.1. Manitoba, 37.7 years of age at the median. Uh, Northwest Territories, 35.8 years of age and Nunavut, this is crazy. So, so much lower, uh, Nunavut 26.9 years of age at the median current Canadian median for context is 41 years of age. So why does this matter? Like, so a lot of people who invest and you hear a lot about this stuff when you're talking about in the States, cause there's huge variances in like, you look at like some of these like boomer, uh, cities in Florida as an example, by comparison to some of these younger cities, like there's a couple cities in like Utah that are like, uh, in the early 30s and youth of a city in a lot of cases, some people are considered better to invest in. People don't move around a lot typically. So more young people means more future. It means more life and more growth of people. It could mean they're going to stay there, have their family, and it means they're going to live there and consume your investment properties in the future. Without implying that it's better per se, in quotation marks, it could just be to understand the needs of a city. So old people need hospitals and medical centers. Old people value walkability because their health depends on them getting out and about and you know having a healthy, active lifestyle. Whereas young families want schools and they often want, you know, drivable, secure subdivisions and amenities for kids like recreation, daycares, et cetera. So think about demographics when you plan your investment thesis. Yeah, I, I really love that. And, and this next list even does a deeper dive on that. So let's do that same list that Dan just did, but let's do it by city. So again, Let's start with Victoria where, wow, people are pretty old over there with a 42.7 medium age. Vancouver, 39.6. Edmonton, 37.7. Calgary, 38. Saskatoon, 35.6 is the median age. Regina, 37.6. Winnipeg, 39.2. Thunder Bay, 43.3. Windsor, 41.2. The GTA, 38.8. Ottawa, the capital of Canada, we've got a 40-year-old median age. Montreal, 41. Quebec City, 43.1. Moncton, 40.4. Halifax, 39.9. Charlottetown, 
40.8 and St. John's 38.4. Those are pretty good numbers. If I'm looking at, I mean, the highest we've got here is 43. Yeah. And and it's, it is an interesting reflection. It kind of shows you that the youthfulness is, is really migrating more towards those cities because those are all under their provincial averages. So St. John's as an example, almost, uh, or like almost 10 years under the provincial average of Newfoundland and Labrador of 47.8 at 38.4. So, youth is getting concentrated more and more into cities because young people, I mean, a lot of it's like, we need to be close to jobs. We want to be close to potential mates. You want to be close to, um, you know, high concentration of things that we need for that upward mobility. So, and, but the other piece is a lot of it's affordability, right? Smaller units, being able to be closer to the higher paying jobs. And then the other thing is lifestyle choices. People, when they need families and more space, they go to places where they can get that. They suburbanize. And so we haven't necessarily seen that happen in a meaningful way yet with the millennial generation kind of just starting. And maybe it won't for for the most part. Maybe you'll see fewer um, households with children in the millennial generation, but the data hasn't really explained that whole phenomenon yet. But the big question, I think, in, in that list is, is Canada's population getting any younger? Because that would make us a bit of an outlier in the world. A lot of populations are aging. The median age, and this is this is has the potential really to save the long longevity of an economy. You hear about aging populations being a threat. The median age of people living in Canada in 2022 edged down to 41, the first decline in more than five decades. Crazy to hear that. According to data released by Statistics Canada, the national agency, the median age had climbed steadily from 26.2 in 1971 to 41.1 last year. Isn't that crazy? As the population ages, but you look at 1971. I mean, there was so many. That was when our parent like. 10, 20 years after our parents' generation was born. And so oh, there were so many kids. The baby boom literally was happening at that point, right? So um, very interesting from my perspective to think about. Yeah, very cool. Now let's look at the prairies. We got Regina and Saskatoon. These are two of the youngest cities in Canada with people under 15 accounting for 19 and 19.1% of their respective cities. Crazy. So I I guess the question becomes like, does that actually mean that there's just like a lot of kids there? Like maybe people are having more kids on average than other cities or, and, and as an investor, do you think that more and more of those kids will grow up and stay there? Um, so, and then I guess another thing to be thinking about is like, what, as an example, is Canada's fastest growing age group? Yeah. I mean, by 2050, the 85 and older population could reach more than 2.7 million people as the last cohort of the baby boomers born in 1965 hits their 85th year, turns 85. Happy birthday, everybody. Now, where do most of the millennials live in Canada, Dan? So millennials are a generation that accounts for the largest share of the working age population, 33.2%. And those are aged 15 to 64. Uh, that's Sorry, that's what the working age population is, people aged six, 60, 15 to 64. Millennials outnumber baby boomers in Alberta, 23.3% versus 21.4%. In the Yukon, 25 to 24. And Northwest Territories and Nunavut. Which is crazy. So these are your, you know, populate or your areas where populations are skewing. So I guess you have to think, we can cr- do a cross section of that with maybe Alberta and with those other areas and say, okay, well, we, we know there's a lot of young people there. Are they staying or is that area seeing a net migration out or net negative migration of population in 
in those areas? Or is that something I can, I can expect those people to stay there and grow within that population? Mm-hmm. Um, what about the biggest cities in Canada on that note? Do you know what they are? Try and give me some of the top 10 in order. I feel like it, it feels logical, but then you kind of get surprised. So it'll make our listeners feel better anyway, if you get them wrong. So don't <laughs> worry. So. Okay. I'm going to start us off with the center of the universe, obviously Toronto being the first, I think after that, it would be, Maybe Montreal, Vancouver, Ottawa, Calgary, Edmonton, and then it's probably Hamilton. Uh, okay, so how you am I doing so yeah, far? Uh, you, you, all the names are in there, but the <laughs> order is way off. You think I know kind of Vancouver, stuff I know. <laughs> well, Vancouver is a confusing one because it does have kind of like a greater Van- – like it has the greater Vancouver area, and so it is a, like a little bit – different but so the list will surprise you when we get to it but read me this this cool headline because this one just came out from statistics canada which i like ottawa and edmonton top the one million mark there you go the municipality of toronto up 2.3 percent the largest in the country had a population of almost 2.8 million people well montreal plus 3.4 percent calgary up 5.5 edmonton up 8.3 8.3 and Ottawa up 8.9 topped the 1 million mark. Edmonton and Ottawa surpassed the 1 million mark between the 2016 and 2021 census. So Toronto 2.8 million people and that's Toronto proper. New Toronto like with the amalgamation is like 6 million people or something because I remember Chicago was like upset that Toronto usurped them as North America's fourth largest city. <laughs> what's the order on on that one actually dan let's, let's take a talk yeah, this, this stuff fascinates me so it's cool let's just let's just let loose on this episode and just have some fun with it because demographics is interesting so I, I wikipedia this stuff like all day long i just i don't know why but mexico city 9.2 million biggest city in north america then new york city at 8.5 la at 3.9 million toronto at 2.8 million then chicago at 2.7 million then houston and then havana cuba then you, then you finally get to Montreal. Well, I love to see us in the top four there and within some good company, uh, you know, nestled between Los Angeles and Chi-Town. It's good stuff. But let's get back to Canada because we're Canadian and that's what we're here to talk about. Toronto, 2.8 million, grew by 2.3% between the censuses. Montreal at 1.76 million, grew by 34 Calgary at 1.3 million grew by 5.5%. Ottawa just over the million mark grew by 8.9%. Edmonton again just over that million mark grew by a similar 8.3%. Mississauga at 717,000 actually shrank by 0.5%. That can't be right. Maybe the COVID exodus or something. Um, definitely something uh, off with that. I feel like Mississauga will be the next city to break a million. I'm actually shocked that they're they're not there as well. Also, they're not including Vaughn on here. And for anyone outside of Toronto, Vaughn just kind of makes up the the northern um, part of the city. And there's actually a new subway uh, that that connects Toronto proper all the way to Vaughn. Vancouver, six hundred sixty-two thousand, grew by four point nine percent. Brampton, six hundred fifty-six thousand. Grew by 10.6%, double digits, baby. Biggest growth rate on the list. Fascinating to see that Brampton is basically as big as Vancouver. Crazy, um, yeah. Hamilton, 569,000, grew by 6%. We know Hamilton very well. Uh, and Surrey, 568. 
thousand grew by nine point seven percent. Another big growth case there. I feel like I think Surrey is expected to pass Vancouver in size over the next decade as well. I think just because like more usable land, right? Like Vegas, Vancouver is exceptionally landlocked, Mm -hmm. Um, and also I think like some some world famous nimbyism going on there as well. A little bit of that, yeah, yeah. So and then I guess next on the list you have Quebec at five hundred forty nine thousand, and then I mean maybe we can just uh, um, end it there. If you can't tell. Uh, I can't tell if people like whether or not we just rattle off stats. Like some people are like, yeah, I have to pause and go back and re-listen, but our listen listenership is still growing. So I suppose that's a good sign. So forgive us for the data monologues, but we're big stats geeks here. Yeah. I mean, honestly, a big theme here is, is also that a lot of those cities are kind of like grouped together as well, right? Like, like for instance, like if you look at the states, like a Phoenix with Scottsdale or, you know, the the Los Angeles area that just sprawls as far as the eye can see. Yeah, there's a name for that. Would you imagine? That's called an urban agglomeration. Do you do you want to pause here for a minute so you can look up a definition? Just kidding. Are you, I, I put it in the show notes for you. I knew you'd oh, want you're, to do this. You're a good man. The term urban agglomeration refers to the population contained within the contours of a contiguous territory inhabited at urban density levels without regard to administrative boundaries. Wow, that's a mouthful. Well, just like basically, um, you know, like if you're to draw like the GTA as an example, isn't like some official place. It's like just the GTA, right? Or the the greater Vancouver area, which I'm banned from saying is just, (laughs) it's just this, you know, this fictional concept that, you know, there's no official. Anyway, not to be confused with a megalopolis. Yeah, that just sounds more like a made-up word or some science fiction or, or you know, crazy movie or something. Yeah, the definition <laughs> makes it sound even more sci-fi. So a megalopolis or a super city, also called a mega region, not joking, this is real stuff, is a group of <laughs> metropolitan areas which are perceived as a continuous urban area through common systems of transport, economy, resources, ecology, and so on. They're integrated enough that coordinating policy is valuable, although the constituent metropolises keep their individual identities. This comes from achistics, the science of human settlements. Okay, what is that? Give me an example. Can you spell it? Can you please use it in a sentence? <laughs> I can't, but but basically megalopolises are the large places you can see all lit up from space at night that look connected, like the Nile River Delta in Africa. There's one called the Great Lakes Megalopolis, which a lot of our listeners are probably within. There's a Quebec City-Windsor corridor and also this Great Lakes Megalopolis. They kind of blend together, which includes like Quebec City, Windsor, Montreal, the GTA, Kingston, Cornwall, etc. Um, but also <laughs> U.S. cities like Buffalo, Chicago, Cincinnati, Cleveland, uh, Rochester, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Montreal is on there. I always wonder if the growth of Canada will actually be bullish for some of these forgotten about U.S. markets like Detroit, Buffalo, and much of Ohio. Um, there's another one on the Gulf Coast. All of so- Southern California, as an example, is a megalopolis. Uh, there's one called the Northeast, which is kind of boring, but it's basically just like the Hudson River area around New York City, Washington, Boston, Jersey, Baltimore, etc., and then there's Florida. It's literally just called Florida. I guess all of, <laughs> all of Florida is a me- megalopolis, which is just old people and partying, basically. And then there's the Texas Triangle, which sounds like a wrestling move. I love it. Austin, yeah. Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, San Antonio. Um, and then there's also this West Coast one called Cascadia, which kind of includes Vancouver, a little Pacific Northwest. Although I think we had somebody also comment that we're not supposed to call Vancouver part of the Pacific Northwest. That one really mm. upset you, actually, didn't it? Mm. You, were go- you were Googling that one, like the f- official dialogues. Hopefully they, they said they aren't listening to the show anymore because we called Vancouver the Pacific Northwest, but hopefully they hear this. 
Um, yeah, look, I mean, uh, fascinating stuff. I think the best way that you described it was stuff that's visible from space, right? Everyone can relate to that. You've seen those, those pictures of, you know, of, of the globe lit up at night and, and, you know, it makes a lot of sense that there people tend to live close to, close to borders and close to water. And that's where a lot of these megalopolises and mega regions are. Now, we're, we're at the end of the episode here, Dan. So I wanted to have a quick chat as to why youth in a city is so important for investing. I think that goes back to something that's come up a lot that we've talked about, which is jobs and the workforce and the effect that that has on that economy, the macro economy and the micro economy of that area. So do you want to maybe close us out here with, with why that's important and why as an investor, you should be focused on demographics and why a youthful demographic and a youthful population is probably better than an aging or aged population. I mean, I might not be super qualified to talk like broadly about the major consequences of this stuff, but I think it's like pretty ex- like self-explanatory. Like if someone, if a, if your tenant pool dies and starts to, it's like the, like maybe the best example I could use is the Chevy Corvette as an example, right? They're, I love it. They're, they're pool of, per, like don't, I, C7 Corvette, one of the coolest cars from my perspective, really, really sexy car, but they switched it to a rear mid engine because they wanted to appeal to young people because the average age of a purchaser was like 55 years old. So like their buyers, average buyer was literally dying off. If you're a landlord who's catering to the same people, midlife crisis dudes who want to drive a sports car as an example, then yeah, I'm going to get a C7 when I have the money, honestly. So don't (laughs) like, don't, don't, I, I'm not the kind of guy who would make fun of a Corvette, maybe if it's yellow, but anyway, um, don't, you don't want to be creating product to uh, or serving a product to a market that's dying off, literally dying off, right? So youth helps because if you think in terms of mortgage terms, like it takes 25 years to amortize a mortgage. If the average age of your population of the area is, you know, look at the city of Buffalo as an example. Like city of Buffalo was like over a million people, I think, like during the industrial revolution, it's like down to like 500,000 people. So, you know, the housing scarcity before was probably a lot higher than it is now. And housing scarcity, we know, drives the rents up. And it also drives prices up and it also makes cities better and, and growing and, and creates op- more economic opportunity. And so, you know, I mean, thinking about these urban agglomerations is actually an interesting way to look at it because you start seeing things like distribution centers. So Cornwall would kind of fall into that. You know, we like investing in Cornwall. No, no, no surprise there. We talk about it all the time, but it makes sense because it's in the agglom- urban agglomeration of Ottawa and Montreal as an example. And they're, and, and if you think about the urban economics of that, they're putting distribution centers for Walmart there because it's close to both of those markets and it's a cheap place to get real estate. Now all of a sudden there's jobs, distribution jobs, last mile delivery in the industrial space, huge trend that's happening in real estate right now. So these are demographics are really, really important things to think of where you can actually create sort of a marginal advantage on like, look at that list, ignoring the base number effect that Nick defined graciously defined for us in the dictionary segment. What other reasons would you see higher growth in places like Edmonton than you would in Toronto, as an example? Could it be that people are more attracted there because they can afford to live there, that the income to price distribution is higher? Start looking at at these things and forming investment theses. Like our job here isn't to go and say, buy a property in this area. Like we're not gurus and saying like, you know, everybody's investment thesis can be different and you have to start at the highest level of thinking that you possibly can to reverse engineer exactly what the right product is for you. Maybe you want to buy healthcare properties adjacent to hospitals for because you're bullish on baby boomers and you know that they have the most income because we know that they have the most disposable income or most wealth. And so they're going to pay the highest rents and you want to maximize the rents 
even though you know that they're dying off and you might not have a tenant pool in 20 years. So think about what you want. Think about why a lot of these demographic shifts and changes are happening and evaluate and start calibrating a investment thesis based on that information. Because right now we're in a market where if you pick the right decision, like let's say the market trades flat, it hits the bottom eventually and it trades flat for a couple of years. You have a period of time where we can make good investments sensibly. And you got to think about why and how you're going to do that. And this is the easiest place to start, I think, is picking your geography and doing that through looking at the demographics of that area. Amazing. Great explanation, Dan. Let's call it there. Thanks so much to everyone out there listening. If this is your first time on the show, we really appreciate you joining us. Go back and listen to the rest of the episodes. A lot of them are evergreen, so they apply to today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And if you are a regular listener, thank you. We appreciate you just as much. Go rate us five stars, write us a review if you haven't, and we will read it on the show in our warm and fuzzy segment. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.